0: If you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to read uh, our scripture uh, in its entirety, and then we'll use that as our introduction into our study this morning uh, in the Confession, Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be dealing this morning with our study continuing in chapter 26 of the Confession, paragraph 9, and dealing with the ordination of officers in the local church. Uh, But 1 Timothy 4 will not only set that principle, but a couple other principles that will be important for our study this morning. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Medi- meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, First Timothy 4 is one of the footnoted texts especially verse 14 in the paragraph nine in the confession this morning, that is used as part of what is known as the ordination or the setting apart of officers in the local church. We've been studying over the last couple of weeks, the offices of elder and the office of deacon. Of course, in 1 Timothy three, we spent an extended amount of time dealing with most all of those verses, giving the qualifications and the requirements of not only elder, Uh, which again is pastor, bishop, overseer, and also the deacon. And there are uh, very specific guidelines uh, that must uh, be met. But in 1 Timothy 4, uh, Paul, as is many times his uh, way of writing, uh, moves from chapter 3 into chapter 4, and he begins to give warnings again. He warns in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy about people being seduced, drawn away, and departing from the faith. Now, of course, he does not mean people losing their salvation, but rather those who were claiming to be part of this common faith have drifted away, and more specifically, been seduced, seducing spirits, been pulled away by the doctrines of devils. He goes on and talks about speaking lies and hypocrisy and conscience being seared. Uh, and then a lot of legal ease, if you will. Uh, Those that were forbidding marriage, they were commanding to abstain from certain meats. They They were adding to God's word, if we could put it that way. And that's much of what we're going to be dealing with this morning in our worship service when we deal with, we resume our studies in Matthew today, dealing with the Sabbath day and how the Sabbath day even has been used to be a stumbling block to people. And it was not intended to be that, and yet that's what's happening. But the emphasis that Paul has on, by writing to Timothy, of course, is the proper way to behave in the church of God. And that's the end of verse, uh, chapter thir- 3, verse 15, that you may know how to behave thyself in the church, which is the church of the living God. So although we're not going to expound the entire chapter of 1 Tim- uh, Timothy 4 this morning, I do want us to understand that Paul is very definite in how things are supposed to be and we've learned that over the last few weeks Uh, the the idea the qualifications the characteristics characteristics of an elder and a deacon these are not suggestions these are not things to take into consideration this is how it is it's the husband of one wife we dealt with that how a woman cannot be a pastor she cannot be an elder Uh, that's biblical Uh, that can't happen Um, So we see these things, and we understand that there are these requirements, these characteristics. So what this is doing is this is giving us a very definite uh, pattern for who can hold these offices. So it isn't enough just for a person to, uh, quote-unquote, be placed into one of those offices because he fits the bill. But rather, what we're going to learn this morning is that those that are in these offices have to be equipped... And gifted by God himself to be able to carry out. Not every man who is saved is qualified to be an elder, nor is he qualified to be a deacon. Now that doesn't mean that there's some lessness to him, but that is part of the equipping. Now if you'll take the confession and look at paragraph 9 of chapter 26, uh, we'll read this paragraph. And again, this is kind of pulling all these thoughts together, especially 1 Timothy 6.14 about the laying on of hands. Uh, Paragraph 9 of chapter 26 reads this way, The way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person, fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit unto the office of bishop or elder in a church, is that he be chosen thereunto by the common suffrage of the church itself, and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer, "...with imposition of hands of the eldership of the church, if there be any before constituted therein, and of a deacon, that he be chosen by the life suffrage, and set apart by prayer, and the like imposition of hands." So this paragraph is really establishing what we read in paragraph 8, that the final authority for the placing of elders and deacons within a local church is the church itself not an overarching or a hierarchy or another body the church itself places into those offices men who are fitted and equipped by the holy spirit of god to carry out those offices now that's contrary to man's way of doing things is it not man just like we learn in the old testament man does what's right in his own eyes, man often judges appearances, and he often judges based upon what his flesh says. Now that's a person who's qualified for this office because he meets my criteria. The issue here isn't whether a man looks like he fits that criteria, but does he actually fit the characteristics, the criteria, and more importantly, does he have the gifting and the fitness from God himself to carry out that responsibility? That's really, scripturally, the only proper way to do it. So notice that the confession tells us, this is based upon three main texts. Acts 14, 23, we'll look at all these in some fashion this morning. 1 Timothy 4, 14, which we read in our scripture. And then Acts 6, verses 3, 5, and 6. These are the three places in scripture that support paragraph 9. Okay, about the appointment. Now, notice the way appointed by Christ. Okay, the way appointed by Christ. We learned about we want to have the mind of Christ in paragraph 8, that a particular church that's gathered and organized according to the mind of Christ. So what if we organized our church and got everything right except the officers? What if we got everything right, but we missed the eldership and we missed the deacons? then we will have done it wrong. That has to be done according to the mind of Christ as well. So the entirety of an organized local body of believers must be organized according to the mind of Christ, not according to the mind of man or what man wants, right? So Christ, it is Christ who appoints the officers and the church itself which calls, chooses, and solemnly sets apart men as elders and deacons. Okay, so what does this mean by how does Christ appoint? Uh, How does Christ appoint a man for a church office? Well, that man is fitted and equipped or gifted by the Spirit. Now, again, in many ways, uh, we, we make so much of this that we miss it. Uh, we we act, act as if that this giftingness or this fitness means it's going to come up, that it's going to come upon a man and he's going to be in an emotional uproar and he's, he's going to have an emotional experience and they say, okay, that man's fitted or gifted for the ministry. That's not what he's talking about at all. This gifting or this fitness is not something that's going to manifest itself necessarily in an outward manifestation of uh, some emotional outburst. He's going to be equipped and fitted to meet the qualifications and the characteristics that were mentioned. In other words, those things are going to be his equipping. He's going to rule his house well, for example. He's going to have the fitness to do the things that he needs to do, apt to teach. He's going to be able to teach, and that is certainly certainly very, very important. So the giftedness of a potential officer, elders, deacons, uh, we saw that being described in 1 Timothy 3 when we went through that. We also saw it in Titus 1, uh, verses 5 through 9. And I think last week we read 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 4. And it said that the elders which are among you, I exhort... Jerry, can you get that door for me, please? Uh, who I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, okay? Feed the flock of God. Uh, We understand that that feeding here he's talking about is not a feeding that is based upon uh, physical food, but feeding spiritually, spiritual nourishment, okay? The elders are doing these things, uh, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint. A man does not force himself into that particular office. Um, This happens more than you want to know, where a group of people get together and overrun a church and put their man in place. Okay, that's not the way it's supposed to work. It's not supposed to be that this man is by constraint, he forces himself upon that congregation. He's, he's, he's not coming and saying, I force myself. He's, he's there by the appointment of God, but he also, he's also there willingly, and he's not forced. He doesn't force the congregation to receive him. So we understand that, and he goes on, and he says, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. We dealt with this last week, but of a ready mind. He's not in it for the money. Okay, and again, people, it used to be, there was no money to be made in ministry. Well, now it's a very lucrative career for some. It's possible, if you do it the, many times the wrong way, to become quite wealthy doing ministry. But he says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Okay, and then it went on and talked about the chief elders, or chief shepherd, rather, will appear. So what is the point here? We're not allowed to alter or to diminish or neglect the biblical qualifications for a church office. So I'm not allowed to look at those office requirements and say, all right, we agree with all of them except for this one. Now, people often say, how, and again, how, how are so many churches in error putting, again, this will be taken wrong by those of the world that hear this, putting a woman into the role of elder? Because they're ignoring scriptural teaching. That's the only way you can place her. That's the only way you can get her there. Now they'll say she rules her house well. She does all these other things well. But they ignore the husband of one wife part. That's pretty difficult to get around. But the point is. Is that we cannot neglect any of the qualifications. And say all right, this person has all of them except for this. Or this person has this except for this one. We can't alter it. We can't diminish it. We can't neglect those biblical qualifications for a church office. Now, again, we understand that not everybody was the writer of Scripture. I think you all realize that there are a lot of religious writings throughout history that were written and penned around the same time that the Scriptures were written, but they're not considered inspired text or inspired documents. God chose those men who would write His Word. And inspired them. There's a lot of religious writings. But I cannot write an inspired document to you. Now you'd be surprised how many men are standing around churches saying that they just wrote an inspired document. That this came to me from God last night while I slept. And people are taking this in. The giftedness and fitness that he's talking about here is not above what the qualifications of the Bible say they are. And again, churches make the mistake of often looking for the most flashy, most eloquent man who speaks the best, who, whose homiletics are all in order. He has a grand following. Again, the age of celebrity preacher, celebrity pastor is on us. And I would just tell us all, we need to be very, very careful about making a celebrity out of any man who preaches the word of God. Don't make him the celebrity. If he's truly there for the right reason, he doesn't want you to give him that kind of credit. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want a preaching tour. He wants the word of God and Christ to be glorified. But if he's out seeking a following, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, you know, we wanna get the most popular of people. The ordination of these officers is not a popularity contest. And we're gonna learn in just a moment, it's not to be determined by an election. And I don't mean the doctrine of election, I mean like an election where we put a couple names on a ballot and the congregation says, which one do you want to be? That's not the way it was ever intended to be. So it is Christ who appoints a man for this office. And we understand that that is a problem that doesn't just occur in our generation. But some of the greatest harm that's ever come to the church has been when unqualified men were put into offices. People say that that didn't happen in the first century. That didn't happen during Paul's day. Some of Paul's greatest concerns were about men who got into places who were unqualified to be there and shouldn't have been there. Remember when he was leaving Ephesus in Acts 20, he said, I want you to be aware, and I've been telling you from day one, the moment I leave, men are going to rise up within the congregation and people from without are going to come in and they are going to seek that office. But they're unqualified. Okay, so these are, these are very, uh, you can read them, the, the leaders, and he talks about it in Galatians. He talks about in Corinthians. He talks about it in Ephesus. It was happening in those three places, at least, to where unqualified people had gotten into those offices. Uh, Jude, the entire that little book of Jude, uh, talks a lot repeatedly about false leadership, people who are incompetent to be there, uh, our study on Wednesday nights in Revelation, we're just in Revelation 1, but when we get to Revelation 2 and 3, the Bible clearly says there are unqualified people doing things in these churches that they ought not be doing. You try that now in some of our modern churches and they're saying, well, you're, you're, you're just wrong. No, scripturally, we have the mind of Christ. So it is God who appoints. Uh, No matter how impressive a man may be outwardly, no matter how well he speaks, if he does not meet the qualifications of Scripture, you should not submit yourself to that leadership. Okay, But if he meets those qualifications, again, and let's preface this, not perfectly. There is not a perfect man on this planet who is always going to be perfect. You can't be perfect, I can't be perfect. But you can tell simply by the intent, the qualifications. Is he meeting those qualifications? Uh, does he have that integrity that he is desiring and is following the biblical pattern? Hebrews 13, we learned that it is those individuals that are qualified, this is what that said when we finished our study of Hebrews. Hebrews 13, uh, verse uh, 7 says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. The writer of Hebrews was saying those men that are following and their conversation shows, their conduct is godly, then you can follow them, remember them. Later on in Hebrews 13, he says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. So it is to recognize that those offices, especially in the office of elder, uh, is been given for the edification of the church. That's what Ephesians 4.11 is about. God gave these individuals for the edification of the church. Not to be a burden, but to edify. And that's part of the point that we're dealing with today. So we see there in the paragraph that the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Spirit unto the office of bishop or elder in the church is that he be chosen thereunto by the common suffrage of the church itself. Now this is what we kind of looked at in Acts 14 last week. Um, And we'll, we'll kind of cover this again. But the second point today, after Christ appoints the officers in the church, is that the church is to recognize and identify those men who have been endowed with those spiritual graces and gifts that qualify them for the church office. Now, those of you that know me know that the prayer of my heart has been that as we move towards what biblically is mandated, this plurality of elders, is that God would raise up a man within the congregation that is already here. Our prayer is not send some qualified man from the outside but that God would raise up in his time a man qualified who meets the qualifications and desires the office of bishop, right? Which means I can't force that on any man I can't say to a man in our congregation, I want you to do this. He has to have the desire to do that. And again, that's between him and the Lord. Does he desire the office of bishop? Now, if he does, and if these men are qualified, the church as a whole is going to recognize that the men in this office are qualified for this office. They are meeting what the characteristics and the qualifications are. And there is a common agreement to that, right? The church as a a whole is agreeing that the men that are standing up as elders and pastors, whatever that case is, they are qualified to do that. Now, you realize how difficult this can be. Because if we're not completely given to that this is the calling of God, do you see how quickly our flesh can enter into this picture and say, well, here's who I think should be? It's, it, is, it is, and I want to say this carefully, it's the number one problem when a church goes without a pastor, especially if it goes for a while. The church starts to get a little bit desperate, and a man comes in, and everybody jumps and says, are you ready to come be our pastor? before they're really saying is this man even qualified first of all to be our pastor he might have a he may have a great personality he may have a good family he may look like he has it all together but you've got to be very very careful on that and again i think if a church is functioning properly the churches are to reproduce themselves in other words as a church grows men are equipped and gifted and that so that you're not left in a place where there's not a man who even if he doesn't take the office of bishop or elder he could stand up behind this pulpit and the church would continue on and it wouldn't miss a beat but the problem is is we have so many churches that are structured where it's all being held up by one man and if that man leaves the church crumbles because there's nobody to step in Or the person that steps in isn't qualified to do anything other than just kind of lead an organization like they would a company. So you see how the flesh can get here. The confession writers were very careful about how they worded this. The common suffrage. The common agreement. This... This, this concept here that they meet the requirements. Now we looked at Acts 6 last week with the, with the appointment of the deacons. And remember that as we looked at the deacons, that one of the purposes for that office was because those who were tending to the word of God and were supposed to be given over to prayer were being taken away by other very important needs. It wasn't that these widows didn't need things. It wasn't that tables didn't need to be served. The reality was is that there was supposed to be another office to deal with that, and that's where we got where the deacons. And we saw in Acts six verse three, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we appoint over the business. I have full of the Holy Ghost circled in my Bible because. That's where a lot of churches just disregard that. They just say the deacon should be the oldest person in the church because he's been here the longest, so let's just make him a deacon. Number one, that man shouldn't just take it because and accept it because he's the oldest man in the church. What he should say is he should realize and understand, is this even a desire that's in my heart to do? But they, they appointed them. They laid hands on them. The church was in agreement with them, and seven specific people were chosen for that particular office. So oftentimes, there are situations where maybe the most popular man in the church uh, becomes looked at as saying, hey, you know, if something happens, uh, we can always just install you. That's not a reason to put a man in the pulpit, okay? Just because you have a need just because there's an opening, right? But the church identifies that these are indeed men qualified for these offices. Now, we talk about church votes, and church voting is a, a very, and, and the, the point this morning is not about church voting, okay? But the, the point that they had here, and the point of appointment, and the ordination of these officers in the local church, is this is not like an election campaign, okay, where you put a ballot out, And then the church puts names on the board and say, now put a check mark next to the person that you think should be in these offices. The election idea here is that there is a common consensus that we agree that this individual meets the qualifications, is gifted by the Spirit to fulfill the office in which we are now seeking. So when the day comes when God, whatever his timing is, raises up and puts a desire in the heart of maybe a man in this church, that man desires the office of elder. It's not something we're just going to run to immediately say, oh, praise God, you want to do this. No, he actually says that in in the confession, it says that that is to be set apart by fasting and prayer. So just because a man says he desires, it doesn't mean you just put him there. This is a solemn thing. And again, our church, this church, some of you I've shared with it, it has a history. Okay, and it's it's some of it's not just a history, it's a couple years old. I mean, you follow the trace of this church all the way back to into the early 70s, and it had another name, and it's been through a few names and doctrinal changes, and it's been a lot of different places. But God's word hasn't changed. And I would would make this statement, and not to anybody's detriment, but I am sure throughout the years, mistakes have been made in appointments and placing of individuals because there was a need or a lack of something. This, This is a work of God. God works and opens and fits and equips so that the church comes to a conclusion and says, wait a minute, after fasting, after prayer, after identifying through the qualifications, remember we learned all this, he shouldn't be a novice. You know, it's, it's again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be ugly here today. But it is a lot to, when a, when a guy graduates from Bible college, to pull him out of college and just install him just off the top as if, okay, this is just a common thing. You graduated Bible college, now just go get a pastor. Like, that's just what we do. Honestly, the way the church has functioned for the last 50 years has been, no, you graduate Bible college, then you become a youth pastor, then that's a stepping stone to become a pastor. And it's, everybody's doing it. Now the problem is, again, not meaning to be ugly today, I don't see the youth pastor anywhere. I don't see them pulling the kids out. I see them together, right? That's why we do what we do. That's why our kids are with us today. It's intentional. But over the years, there have been times when we've been doing this, people don't like that. That's okay. We're not governed by anybody outside of this as far as a church. But this appointment, this ordination again, I use the word ordaining so carefully because the, the ordaining that we talk about in our day and age. Um, is being used in a lot of different ways, but the ordination in the Greek verb itself, again, not a Greek expert, not a Hebrew expert, never claimed to be, never will be, but the Greek verb for this setting apart, this laying upon or, or, or electing, if you will, is to stretch forth the hand. It's to lay hands upon, which is what 1 Timothy 4.14, about laying on the hands. All this is, is this is an acknowledgement by the church that this man who's being installed into this office by the common suffrage that's been reached after fasting and prayer is being identified and installed as an elder into that particular congregation. And the way that they did it and the way that they identified it was by the imposition of hands of the eldership of the church. So in other words, whatever, whoever serving in the office of elder at that time, as we move toward plurality of elders, the proper way to do it is the current elder or eldership lays their hands upon that person. And when that day comes, there will be a man standing either to my right or to my left, and we're going to follow it exactly this way, and I'll lay my hands on him, and we're going to pray, and he'll be installed into that position. But it's not going to be a campaign. It's not going to be campaign slogans. Elect so and so the elder. But we will be very sure before we ever lay hands on a man and say, this man's going to be installed, that he should actually be installed. That process could take some time. He may preach for a number of months before we come to the conclusion that this individual should be that second elder. Right. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us how many elders, but it does tell us we've learned about the plurality of elders. So this ordination itself, this is a final point for today. So the ordination itself is a sober event in which the Lord is sought by fasting and prayer. It should not be done hastily or with partiality. In other words, we're not choosing him because we're partial to him. We're not choosing him because he's our relative. We're not choosing him because we agree that this person, we just think he's better. Okay? 1 Timothy 4, 5.22 tells us in the concept, Lay hand suddenly on no man. Because neither or neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. Now, Paul, in the context of 1 Timothy 5, was talking about the entirety of eldership. Verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. It goes on and gives description of what a widow indeed is. That's a whole lesson in and of itself. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before without preferring one before another doing nothing by partiality. Now I'm going to say a controversial statement. People say this all the time. And I know we shouldn't say all the time, but we do it. I'm not partial to anything. Actually you are. We all are. We all have a partiality towards someone or something or something about a someone, right? Because in our human nature, we have a very difficult time being able to see through because of our own flesh, right? I am convinced over the years there have been men within churches who have been more than qualified and more than gifted who should have been the people installed who weren't because of partiality. The partiality was, was that this is so-and-so. We've got to give them a shot first. Or the one that is very common, well, this is a church and this family, whoever their last name is, runs this church. Now we'll stop, pump the brakes right there. Okay, there's not a family that runs the church. The Cochrane family does not run this church. Okay, and if it's generations from now, and I'm 90, and I can barely get to the pew, and uh, this is not our church. We don't run this church. And no man should come up and say, this is our family's church. That's, not, that's partiality. I've seen it blow churches wide open because a man says, well, the best person for the job is my son. Now, I'm not saying there's isn't cases where that is, but I'm telling you, it often blows up. Because you know what the congregation sees? Partiality. They see the reason he's chosen is because he's his son. Again, partiality is very difficult. Why do you think Jesus gave so many lessons on making sure you don't show preferred treatment by giving the rich people the best seats? The people who can do the most for you. He says that because our hearts are desperately wicked and they will lean on that when we have to make a decision. We all have, and we all have presupposition. Well, I don't presuppose anything. We're all based on presupposition. It comes from where we are, how we've been raised, how we've been brought up. Now, are we supposed to use partiality, and should we rely on a presupposition? No, but we also need to understand that there's a way the Bible says to do it. And my experience has been that oftentimes, and it's old cliche, our timing is well off of what God's timing is. We think we needed this done yesterday, and God's like, no, this is, this is not where you are yet. So the ordination itself. It's interesting that in that particular chapter in 1 Timothy 5, he goes on. He says, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand and they that are otherwise cannot be hid it is a solemn thing to ordain to put hands upon a man and put him into that office so those men if they are in that office those that are in that office in the company of the congregation so i gave you that illustration when that day happens this will not be a private installation service where I, as the current elder of the church, call in that man and say, okay, look, we're just going to go ahead and slide you in here, and then we're going to announce it on Sunday that you're the new elder. The whole congregation is going to be watching this and is going to be understanding, and there will have already been the common suffrage of the church says, we recognize that what's happening here should be happening, not by partiality, not by prejudice, but by the gifting and the equipping of the Spirit of God. Folks, that's what what we as a church should want. Because that's God's way. That man will enter into that church office and he will be set apart by the common suffrage of the church for the work of the ministry. Now, this is where the ordination thing gets a little weird for some people. Laying on of the hands does not confer or give power to that man in any way. So... Today, when a day comes and I lay my hand upon that man's shoulder, I am not, and it's amazing you have to say this, there is no power coming from me to him. When I was ordained by a church, they laid their hands on me and the ordination was different, and I'm not going to go into all the details, and that's why I'm being very careful about this ordaining thing. There was no power conferred upon me. Nothing transferred from the pastor and the people's hands who were upon me. There was no power given. And that's not what this is. But what it is a replication of is the very act in Acts chapter number 6 when they laid hands on those individuals in recognition that the church understands that the man that is being placed into that office, it is the mind of Christ and it is God's appointing. That should be followed for both elder and deacon, right? So when we come to the point where, again, our church, folks have asked me these questions, and I have to be very upfront with you. I don't hide it. You know, people come into a Reformed Baptist church, and they say, okay, who's the other elder? Where's your priority of elders? And I have to tell them, right now, we don't have more than me. Now, that has scared some people off. But it's not because we don't want to, it's because it has not presented itself in that regard yet. Folks, this this journey from just the years I've been here has been absolutely remarkable. And it's been remarkable for a lot of reasons, but remarkable because if if, there's only a couple of you here who've been here the whole time. And you realize where we started and what's been happening, nothing has happened overnight. And those of you that have been here know when I walked in here, I did not fully understand what I was walking into. I didn't fully get it. But I get it now. And we have to understand that these things, they do take time. For a long time, we were just trying to overcome a bad reputation that wasn't any fault of our own. Right? God overcomes those things. God's timing. I didn't feel the need to come out and defend everything that we did or didn't do. You just got to stay consistent and say, look, the Bible is going to be our rule. We're going to have a confession that's going to tell us what the Bible says about these things, but yet where the confession and the Bible clash, we're going to stand on the word. But anybody comes in the front door knows exactly what we are that's why i told you the story when someone says well you have a brochure or pamphlet about your church and they handed him a confession of faith they said praise god that's exactly what we want because it wasn't a shiny program of all the programs this is where we're standing it's where we're standing so the spiritual appointment to the office in the church is clearly stated in these passages fitted and gifted by the spirit ephesians 4 11, and then first timothy 3 is filled with that the church has no right to appoint a man to an office for which god has not called him to or equipped or fit him to and so that's that's where we are in that lesson this morning so next week we're going to move on and we'll move down to paragraph 10 and he's going to narrow it down a little bit the confession writers narrow it down a little bit more And specifically start describing what the work of elders, pastors, overseers, bishops are. Okay? Again, remember I told you partiality, prejudice, presupposition? There's no greater presupposition than the office of an elder of what the elder is supposed to be doing based upon what kind of church you grew up in. Is that fair? (laughs) Because we all come with a a presupposition. This is what the pastor should be doing right? This is what he should be doing. Okay. Is that scriptural or is that what you've been led by tradition to say, this is what he should be doing. So they did not leave that point out either. So we will deal with that uh, next week. So let's finish. I know we don't often